Welcome all who come joyfully forward to greet this day, this day that feels like rain and smells like spring. Welcome all of you who come today with tired eyes or a quiet heart. Welcome all of you who come because this is your home where you raise your family and find your voice. Welcome all of you who come tentatively, unsure of your place in this hall. All of you, each of you, belongs in this gathering, belongs in this community, whether for just this hour or for a lifetime. You are in the right place today, and you are welcome. I'd like to talk this morning about money. Doesn't that sound like a fun topic for a Sunday morning? Money and the religious life is tricky business. In the congregation where I grew up, there was a multi-year debate about whether or not to put out little baskets for donations along with the coffee and donuts during community hour. The baskets would appear one week, then they'd be whisked away the next week. People talked about hospitality, fiscal responsibility, the convenience of making change on Sunday morning. For a while, there was a little sign, please contribute to the donuts. The sign mysteriously disappeared. Then there was the cost. Ought the recommended donut donation be 50 cents, 25 cents? Ought one to donate if one really only wanted coffee? Somewhere in the middle of my high school years, the congregation switched to bagels, and you can imagine the uproar. (laughs) The Council of Nicaea was not nearly so contentious. (laughs) And yet here I am, ruining this perfectly nice March morning, the last one before we enter April and really begin to believe that spring has arrived ruining it with talk about the kind of green stuff that does not grow on trees. Is that really wise? The truth is, what I want to talk about today is not exactly money, but really what we do with it, how we use it. And my inspiration this morning comes from none other than Felix Adler, the founder of Ethical Culture, who was brave enough to bring up any number of taboo topics on Sunday morning, but who would probably still have shied away from the highly controversial donut pricing scheme of my childhood. (laughs) Everyone has limits. Adler, however, was a pretty extraordinary person. As many of you know, he founded Ethical Culture in 1876 when he was just 25 years old. Imagine, if you will, that first gathering. A group of men many of them from from the synagogue where Adler's father was a rabbi, coming together on a Sunday morning to hear this young man tell them of his plans for a new society, a new way of being, a new religion. Adler's founding address was one of the first pieces that I read when I was learning about ethical culture, nothing like beginning at the beginning. And I was hooked right away, as were most of those men who gathered in 1876 and the many who came after them, 
joined, I might add, by their wives and daughters and sisters, eventually. I was hooked from the beginning, and it wasn't just the flowery 19th century language, although I do love hearing someone use descant in a sentence. (laughs) In that founding address, Adler began by talking about what he saw as the perils of his time. It's those words I'd like to share with you this morning. On the face of it, Adler said, our age exhibits certain distinct traits in which it excels all of its predecessors. Eulogies on the 19th century are familiar to our ears and orators delight to descant upon all the glorious things which it has achieved. Its railways, its printing presses, its increased comforts and refined luxuries, all these are undeniable facts, and yet it is true nonetheless that great and unexpected evils have followed in the train of our successes, and that the moral improvement of the nations and their individual components has not kept pace with the march of intellect and the advance of industry. An anxious unrest, a fierce craving desire for gain has taken possession of the commercial world, and in instances no longer rare, the most precious and permanent goods of human life have been madly sacrificed in the interests of momentary enrichment. So there he is, talking about money, or what we do with it. Adler began his very first address to his gathered crowd by talking about what he saw lacking in the world, what he saw crying out for healing. Never afraid to name an evil for what it was, Adler spoke out against the materialism he saw around him, against the vain and easy pleasures of society, and called for a response for a new movement that would remind the world of what was truly worthwhile, of what was truly full of worth, those precious and permanent goods of human life. Adler's new movement went on to speak against unchecked capitalism, worked for child labor laws, alongside labor unions and in settlement houses, built one of the first free kindergartens and grew it into the working man's school, where Adler hoped to educate children of all classes to live fully into their vocations, to know their worth as individuals beyond their value as part of the market system. Many of the proudest moments of the early ethical culture movement were in speaking against the materialism and excesses of the day, speaking against the idea of people as commodities and calling for a new understanding for an insistence on the preciousness of every human being. No matter how much a person's life costs to maintain, no matter how much they make at work or pay in taxes, the worth of a human being is always the same, priceless. Who knew that all these years MasterCard was making ads just for us? When Adler was talking to that first gathering, his audience was made up of some of New York's wealthier folks, people who were enjoying the fruits of the Industrial Revolution, heading into the Gilded Age and all that meant. The excesses of capitalism were beginning to make themselves known, 
at least enough for Adler to rail against them, to call for a return to ethical living, a focus on worth beyond financial value. And what, I wonder, would Adler have said now, looking around at the financial situation and the labor situation that America finds itself in today? I imagine he would have seen some evidence of capitalism gone awry, or at least unchecked. He would certainly have been joining our children to fight for fair trade chocolate. He would have been calling, I think, for laws to ensure that the newly unemployed or those facing foreclosure were given help, that systems were put into place to support them. He would be examining city and county budgets, looking for continued support for women and children, ensuring that public education remained well-funded. And he would have some ideas, I think, on how to spend the stimulus money. I think Adler would have loved green energy, don't you? I wonder, too, what he might have said to you this morning, to this group gathered. We come together this morning for our usual Sunday platform service, but this evening we'll gather again, all the members of the Washington Ethical Society eating and laughing and singing together at our annual community dinner. Eating and laughing and singing and talking about money a little bit more. <laughs> our community dinner is that time when we imagine together when we look at what we've accomplished over the last year and talk about what we hope to bring to life, to create in the year ahead. And the truth is, folks, that all that bringing to life, all that creation, it takes money. For program and administrative staff, to keep the lights on, the energy-efficient lights in our beautiful new building, to support our outreach and our justice work and our small groups and classes. You know all that, of course. You may also be feeling some of the nervousness that's been going around these days about the financial situation in America and about what that will mean for our ability to fund all that we want to do here at West. And it is perhaps no surprise to you that I have thought of the same thing. <laughs> wondered how things would be this year, my first year working with you, in not exactly the best financial climate. So I did what any good liberal religious person does when faced with deep questions. I started researching. I read a number of articles, all written in the last six months, but also drawing on studies over many years about how congregations react how they fare during economic downturns. And as I read, a pattern emerged, and it was not the one I was expecting. Because it turns out that congregations, religious communities, actually do all right. Even in some of the worst times in recent history, most religious communities found that they were able to maintain the same level of giving, and some found that giving went up. This seemed to be true across the board in conservative communities and liberal ones, in the Unitarian Universalist congregations who wrote some of those studies and reports. Why, I wondered, did religious communities experience this? Why did they continue to be supported by their members 
even when those members were sometimes struggling, certainly feeling the effects of the economy. The answer, I think, lies in the religious impulse itself, and perhaps especially in the liberal religious impulse. We don't talk about salvation much in the ethical culture movement. But when we do, we point to each other. We are each other's salvation. We offer the hope for humanity, for our own healing and transformation. It is in relationships with each other, with our families and friends, with our neighbors, with the city and the country and the world. It is in those relationships that we are able to create change, to work for justice. We don't have a sacred text to turn to or an understanding of a saving message that exists outside of us. We are that saving message. Our coming together, our gathering and working and singing, that's it for us. That's the center of who we are. And so perhaps it makes sense that even when times are difficult, we do all we can to make that coming together possible. To not just keep the lights on, but to fling the doors open. To make sure that people walking down and up 16th Street visiting us for the first time come in and find what we have found. That they find a chance to create real community to build relationships, work on real issues, talk about real worries, consider real questions. That they find, perhaps, a kind of salvation in each other. Because the truth is, that's who we're supporting when we support Wes. We're supporting each other. We're supporting who we've become together and who each of us is individually, too. We're not a perfect community. People still search for ways to be connected, still look for social justice projects that call to them, still wish for different platform topics, maybe especially on days when we talk about money. But because we're a community where ultimate responsibility lies with the membership, because we're a community where we strive to hear individual voices, even while we honor group concerns, because of all that, we're also a community that can keep getting better. And more importantly, I think we're a community that truly belongs to the people gathered here today. To all of you. You own this place. In a real sense, in a legal sense. And also in a metaphorical sense. It is yours. And so supporting it. Investing in it is really investing in each other. This sense of ownership, the understanding that this religious community belongs to you, to the members, brings me back to the words from Felix Adler that I began with today. Adler was talking about ownership, too, in that founding address, about the perils of becoming too tied up in what we own on a material level. But I like to think that he would agree with me that our ownership of our communities is different. One of Adler's most beautiful concepts is that worth-value paradigm that we talk about so often. 
the idea that no matter your value, no matter what you earn or what you owe, your worth never changes. Your undeniable, precious human worth is the one constant through life's upheavals. And so if we think about our religious community as a place where human worth is upheld and celebrated, it becomes, I think, the best kind of thing to own. Our ownership of our community is not about proving that we have more, but about proving that together we have enough. No one would say today that we are in a gilded age, but we are still in an age of materialism. Adler's words ring true for me now as they did when I read them over a year ago and as they did when he spoke that day in 1876. An anxious unrest, a fierce craving desire for gain has taken possession of the commercial world and in instances no longer rare, the most precious and permanent goods of human life have been madly sacrificed in the interests of momentary enrichment. Our financial situation here in America has given rise, I am glad to say, to some conversations about that fierce craving desire for gain, about what happens when our lust for money and power take over and our system fails to safeguard the vulnerable. This holiday season, I think, saw a few more homemade presents. But, you know, it still saw stampedes at big box stores. It still saw too many batteries and not enough time together. We offer an alternative. We are a place with almost no batteries and plenty of time together. We are the antithesis, I sometimes think, of big box stores. Very little storage space, but plenty of people to help you. We, we have a hope, a vision to be a community that offers a different way, a different possibility from what we see around us in the world, but that engages with that world too that works for change and justice, that speaks for the most vulnerable. That hope was in Adler's heart when he spoke the words of his founding address. It was in the hearts of all the men and women who gathered to hear him speak, who joined him in settlement houses, who fought child labor with him, who helped to found that free kindergarten, who helped to found the ACLU and the NAACP. That hope was in their hearts as they held up the worth of every person, every human being, as they put their belief into action, as they offered an alternative. When I think about all this, about the alternative that Wes offers, the community that we are and the community we seek still to become, I know that I feel great pride. I feel pride knowing that you chose me to serve this community, to grow with you and learn from you and lead you into the future that we will build together. I feel pride to be a member of a community where we shape our destiny, where our hope lies with each other and with the good we see and the good we do. I feel pride in ownership 
pride in this community which belongs to me and to you, to all of us. And I feel some confidence, too, in the choice I will be making to invest in this community. It's an investment I make because I believe in the company, in this company, your company. And because I think, I know, that it offers a very high rate of return. Our closing words this morning are from Algernon Black, one of the great ethical culture leaders of the last century. This is a call to the living, to those who refuse to make peace with evil, with the suffering and the waste of the world. This is a call to the human, not the perfect, to those who know their own prejudices, who have no intention of becoming prisoners of their own limitations. This is a call to those who remember the dreams of their youth, who know what it means to share food and shelter, the care of children and those who are troubled, to reach beyond the barriers of the past, bringing people into communion. This is a call to the never-ending spirit of the common person, her essential decency and integrity, his unending capacity to suffer and endure, to face death and destruction, and to rise again and build from the ruins of life. This is the greatest call of all, the call to a faith in people. To believe in freedom, we have to believe in people.